Okay, tonight we're starting a new book, the book of Luke. We had an enjoyable time going through Mark. I don't know how many times we've been through the Gospels. This may be our third, maybe our fourth time. It's to keep us familiar with the Gospels. This is the story of Christ. This is the episodes in his life, the things that we learn about him. And that's why we keep going over and over. On Sunday night, we devote that night to the Gospels. This will be the Gospel according to Luke. You turn there, and we will... Uh, We'll read um, all down to verse 26, I guess, 25. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of, the, of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, Most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Let's stop there just for a moment, because that's the introduction. This gospel is written by a physician, Luke the physician. He traveled with Paul in all of his journeys. He was a close companion of Paul. According to what Luke says, he was, has been on the scene from the very beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said also that there were others that wanted to set forth or to preach or declare those things that they were eyewitnesses of and ministers of the words. It could have been the other disciples. Mark was another one who was not a disciple, but he had a witness from the beginning of the ministry of Christ. And this fellow Theophilus must have been a Christian believer who was a close friend of Dr. Luke's and also a most excellent person because you don't generally describe your friends or anybody like that as saying most excellent because that's, that was a, an honor uh, bestowed upon Theophilus because we don't know who he was. And we find from verse 4 that Theophilus had been instructed by preaching, probably by Paul, and so... Luke says, I, I, I'm going to set this thing in order. I'm, I'm going to write you the story. And in writing to Theophilus, we find that we have the word of God. Verse 5, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. 
and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. And, but the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zechariah, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me, to take away my reproach among men. All right, that's as far as we'll read for tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing on this portion of thy word. We thank thee for it. We thank thee for each of the Gospels. We thank thee that they explain one another. How wonderful to know the story of John the Baptist. How he came about to be. We're not have, we don't have to be left in the darkness. And the same thing as we go through the gospel. So many wonderful things are explained to us. We ask thee to teach our hearts tonight by simply by us reading thy word and comparing them with scriptures and thy spirit teaching our hearts. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. This is a kind of a detailed account of the birth of John Baptist, or even how he was conceived, or how it all came about. 
I want you to look at verse 6, though, because something like this can throw a person completely out. It says, And they were both righteous before God. How does a person become righteous? Is it by keeping the commandments and the ordinances of God? No, that's not how you become righteous. You are righteous by believing God. You are righteous by believing in the substitute that God has promised. In this case, it was promised. In our case, it who has been here and already been the sacrifice. But they had to look forward to that. They believed God's word. They believed the promises of the word. And that's what made them righteous. Nobody is righteous apart from having the righteousness of the Savior imputed to them. But on the other hand, they walked in all the commandments doing the best they can and in the ordinances of the Lord as far as they could do were blameless. What makes them blameless is because they were righteous in Christ. There's not a living human being on earth apart from the Lord Jesus Christ who kept the commandments perfectly. Elizabeth and Zechariah both were normal human beings that God had saved and nobody kept the commandments perfect. But you see, being in Christ, being righteous before God, they were blameless and they were said to keep the commandments that way. Just the same way our Lord in John 17. When he's praying, he says, Father, they have kept thy word. Oh, they have received thy word and believed that thou didst send me and uh, I came out from thee. They kept thy word. Uh -huh. Well, that's the same way here with Elizabeth and Zechariah. They just happened to be God's people and were blameless in his eyes. So he's a priest, a bona fide priest. And she comes from a line of daughters all the way from Aaron. She's related back to Aaron. Who was Aaron? He was a high priest with Moses. And it's another instance of God's favorite people not being able to bear children. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both now well stricken in years. How many times have we heard that? Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Rachel, she was old, and barren. So it seems to be that the Lord tries his people that way. At least he did in the Old Testament. Verse 8 says, And it came to pass while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course. Now what's his course? We see these priests had to serve seven days in a row. Then they were off seven. Maybe that's where this offshore work came from. On seven and off seven. Because that's exactly how long their course was. Seven and seven. And verse 9 says, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense. He was assigned 
to burn the incense. He wasn't assigned to, in this particular instance anyhow, to kill the calf and shed the blood or burn the meat. No, he was to offer incense. So, verse 11 says, There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, I feel that there is something important about the fact of the word saying on the right side of the altar, but I don't know what it is. God doesn't tell us things in his word when they're of no importance. But here's a statement that I don't know what it means, and I'm sure it must mean something of importance to being on the right-hand side of the altar. I think of the cross, which was the altar that our Lord Jesus Christ was sacrificed on. Who was on the right-hand side? The thief that he saved. Isn't that interesting? That part's interesting, but I don't know where the tie-in is. So the angel of the Lord appears unto him, and most naturally, Zechariah is frightened. Whenever an angel appears to people, they're frightened, except in the very one instance that we noticed last week, to Mary Magdalene when she was looking for the body of the Lord Jesus Christ at the empty tomb. There were two angels in there that talked to her, and they didn't phase her a bit. Not at all. Even at the time of the day and the place where they were didn't phase Mary at all. She wanted to know where the body of Christ was. She's the only one that I know where angels appear where the angel doesn't have to say, fear not. But here he does. Zechariah was troubled. Fear fell upon him. Verse 13, the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Interesting fact here about prayer. How long do you think it was when Zechariah began to pray for a son? They were old, well stricken in years right now. Don't young couples, when they get married, want to have their children? Don't young fathers anticipate having a son? And mamas generally anticipate having that cute little daughter. And if they didn't have one for the first year or the second year or the third year, Somewhere early there, Zechariah began to pray for a child. Maybe he was praying for a son. Because the angel says, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. I, I don't know if he was praying for a son or a daughter, or if he was just praying for a child. But how long did he pray? It could have been 10, 20, 30, or 40 years. It's very possible that he had quit 
praying for 10, 20, or 30 years because they were well stricken in age. But you see, our Lord hears prayer. Doesn't mean he has to answer immediately, but he hears prayer. And he remembers and he answers according to his sovereign will. He intended to answer the prayer the first time Zechariah ever prayed for a child. But it was delayed until this time. Just like the fullness of time was come, he sent forth his son. This is the fullness of time for John Baptist. Well, oh, Zechariah probably can't even remember when he prayed last for a child. And the angel is in great spirits to be able to announce this. Verse 14, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. And he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. That is most unusual. For the Holy Spirit to indwell a being before Pentecost. The Holy Spirit did not even indwell the disciples, and yet he indwelt John the Baptist, a very special, special person. And he and, sh and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Well, do we know of any? Well, we know that Peter, James, and John were all disciples of John Baptist. They were disciples of him. They knew him. They've... In fact, uh, John says, yeah, you go ahead and follow him. Uh, see what you can find. And then verse 17, and he shall go before him in, in the spirit and power of Eli Elijah. Go before who? Go before Christ. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. I had to think about that to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Children aren't believers because their parents are. There were fathers that were great believers in the coming Messiah. And when they speak of the fathers, they're generally talking about the prophets and the early fathers that were the leaders in Israel, the priests and those that were anticipating and believing God's word. Now to turn the hearts of the fathers, it's like saying that the children will now believe what their fathers believed. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. People have to be taught John the Baptist was a teacher as well as a preacher to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know, it says all of Judea, all the whole countryside turned out to John's baptism to either be baptized or to see him. The scribes and Pharisees didn't like him and yet they didn't do anything to him. That's kind of amazing, too. 
verse 18 says, And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. Does this seem like a reasonable question? To me it does. Zechariah saying, Hey, we sleep in twin beds now. How's this going to happen? I'm an old man. And my wife is well stricken in years. She's well past the age of bearing children. Just how am I going to know this? And the angel answering said unto him, I'm Gabriel, and stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings, and you don't believe it. See, even the word of an angel were to take at face value without doubting. When God sends an angel to give a message, that's his mouthpiece. Now, the same thing applies to this word of God that we have, this book. This book is God's mouthpiece right now. When you read it, you are reading the words of God that he wants you to know. No matter where you read in it, this is all God's word. It's the most important words that you'll ever read in your life are right here in the Bible. You're to read them over and over and over again. The words of an angel are not as steadfast as the words printed here in what we call God's Word. And in verse 20 shows you what happens when Zechariah did not believe the angel. He says, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. You know, this is kind of scary to think that an angel has power to make you deaf or dumb. We know that angels had power to make people blind. When they tried to get into Lot's house, they were blinded. They couldn't find the doorknob. That was angels. Here's an angel could make a person dumb. What powerful creatures angels are. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ did not take the form of an angel for our redemption. He took or for their redemption. As wonderful a creature as an angel is, there are fallen angels that need redemption, but they can't get it because it was never meant for them. The Lord Jesus Christ took the form of a human being, a servant to become our substitute redeemer. So here's O Zechariah for just a few seemingly, seemingly innocent Words, questions, how, how's this going to be? I'm, 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 I'm old. Zach, my wife is very old. Verse 21, and the people waited for Zechariah because he was in there with the incense, you see. 
and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. He and the angel were talking. But when they come out, Zechariah wasn't talking at all. Verse 22, And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. Sometime, I don't know how many days he had left, but they were on seven and off seven. Where do I get that from? Well, turn to Exodus 29, 30. Exodus 29, 30. And that son that is priest in his stead shall put them on seven days, and when he cometh into the tabernacle of the congregation to minister in the holy place. Verse 35 over there mentions seven days again, and thus thou shalt do unto Aaron, to his sons according to all things which I have commanded thee, seven days shalt thou consecrate them. So it's seemingly a seven-day course, on seven and off seven. All right, verse 24. He goes home now. He's not staying in the temple. This is his days off. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. This was not a virgin birth. This was a miraculous birth. He's old. She's past the age of bearing children. They are to be parents. And it was looked upon as a curse to a woman to be barren. So she says, wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Okay, now in this same first chapter of Luke, we have the intricate story of how Mary was informed about her going to be the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it starts here in verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, just what he always says to everybody else except to Mary Magdalene. Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. 
Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now, you see, this part here is what just troubles me a little bit. This question to me that Mary has is, is no more radical or no more unbelieving than what Zacharias said to the angel Gabriel. He says, well, how can... She says the same thing. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And then, oh, Zacharias said, how can this be, seeing I am an old man? And my wife is beyond the years of conceiving a child. But Mary doesn't get struck dumb. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. All right. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. All right, let's go back to verse 26 just for a moment. Mary and Joseph were living in Nazareth. Their forefathers, both of them, lived in Bethlehem. But here they were about 70 miles north of Bethlehem, 60 miles north of Jerusalem, up in the province of Galilee in a town named Nazareth. She was engaged to Joseph, and engagements were just as precious and serious as marriage was. They were, when they made their engagement vows, it was with all the sincerity of being husband and wife. But they weren't married as yet. The angel comes to her and says, Mary, you're blessed among women. And then Mary's going to say, what does he mean? I'm blessed among women. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Now she's beginning to understand. I am going to be the mother of the Messiah that we have waited so long for. Verse 32 has future implications, even future from today. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. Well, he's been that. He is that. He's been called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. This is something that has not yet been accomplished. Why would the angel say that if it wasn't something that was going to be? Where is David's throne? Where was David's throne? 
Was David's throne ever in heaven? No, it wasn't. David's throne was right here on earth. It ended up being in Jerusalem. And he is going to have the throne of David. So, so many of the sovereign grace pastors say, no, he's not going to come back to earth to sit on David's throne. David's throne has been removed to heaven. Never says that. It says he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high on his father's throne. He's not even on his own throne as yet. David's throne is on earth. He's going to have David's throne one day. Because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It is going to happen. Whether anybody believes it or not, it will happen. Just the way the virgin birth is going to be explained how it was going to happen. When it was given over in Isaiah, they'd say, oh, how can that possibly be? We know how babies are born. They can't be born without a human father. The same thing applies to our Lord sitting on David's throne. He will one day come back and sit on David's throne. Why? Because we just read it. That's why. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. His spiritual kingdom or his physical kingdom? Both of them. Our Lord, when he comes to rule and to reign upon earth, there will be no end of that kingdom either. It will go out into eternity just the way Revelation tells us. We will be in the new Jerusalem and there will be people here on earth that will go right out into eternity. They have to visit the new Jerusalem to bring tribute to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't understand that. I don't, I don't have the picture. I only read it in God's word and therefore I believe it. Look at it over there in Romans, I mean, uh, Revelation 20. Revelation 21. Start with uh, Revelation 21 and verse 22. And I saw no temple therein, speaking of the new Jerusalem. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Now listen, that's the new Jerusalem. But here's something else now. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. There's people on earth and there's people living in the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is for the bride of Christ and for the saints up until that time. There's controversy with some of my close friends as to whether the old Jewish economy, the saints through the Old Testament and those that lived during John Baptist's time and our Lord's time, will they be part of the New Jerusalem or not? I say, yeah, they will. But I'm not going to get into an argument about who's going to be saved in the millennium or who's going to be saved in the tribulation. Are they part of it? I'm, I'm not sure. I'll wait for the Lord to show me that. But I'm just showing you according to God's word, there will be people here on earth 
and also people in the New Jerusalem. And we know that the bride of Christ will live in the New Jerusalem. Whatever the Lord does with the rest is his business, but it'll all work out perfectly, and it'll be all according to his word. All right? And, of course, the rest of that in Revelation 21, it says, And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there, talking about the new Jerusalem, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. What about nations? Nations are on earth. Nations aren't in the new Jerusalem. It's on earth. The new Jerusalem's going to hang like a beautiful satellite right over the earth. I don't know how close. I can't visualize it. My human reasoning is poor. All I can see is something beautiful the Lord has prepared for us. All right. Where are we? Verse, verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Only this shadow passed over Mary. And the infant God-man was implanted in Mary. He shall be called the Son of God. That must have thrilled her heart to think that God favored her enough to be the mother of the Redeemer of mankind, the one that was promised to Adam first, Adam and Eve, and then the one they have looked for for millenniums, finally, after 4,000 years, one Jewish maiden was chosen to be the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 36, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived his son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. You see, Elizabeth hid herself. I don't know if she was a little ashamed or not. She was glad to have the reproach taken away, but it says she hid herself for five months. And now a month later, in the sixth month, See, verse 26 said this sixth month, that meaning the sixth month since Elizabeth was pregnant. Verse 26 says that, and verse 36 also says the sixth month with her was called barren. So you see that Elizabeth and Mary were cousins. Elizabeth was a lot older than Mary, but still they were cousins, and that happens. Now, you can have old cousins, you have young cousins. I remember as a boy, not as a boy, as a young man, I come out of the service, so that makes me 22, at least 22 years old, and we go to visit my grandpa, who had remarried I had a bunch of little kids, and I had some aunts and uncles that was two and three years old. So you see how that works, how you can have cousins 
that are older, cousins that are younger. I even had aunts and uncles that were so much younger than me, it was pathetic. I don't know where they are now. Haven't seen them in 30 years, 40 years. I don't know where any of my family is. I think we're going to quit there. I've got a little mark right here in verse 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And I want you to know that. As far as even saving sinners, no matter how wicked, how way out, how demented, how whatever the sinner is, God is able to save that sinner, which is the greatest miracle of all, saving souls. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thee to make us humble. We ask thee to teach our hearts. We ask thee to make thy word more exciting and wonderful to us. We ask thee for thy protection on the highways. We ask thee for wisdom to live each day. And we want to thank you for those that came out tonight. Ask thee to bless this little group here and those that are here by tape. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.